So we've been looking at uh, the book of Numbers this fall. We're going to continue doing that uh, today. So we're going to look at uh, Numbers chapter 8. We're going to look at the whole chapter. Um, Let me go ahead and tell you right at the very beginning uh, that this chapter is about three things. Uh, And I'm going to tell you them now, and I'm going to tell you them later, and I'm going to tell you them again. The first thing uh, the chapter is about is about the lampstand and the tabernacle. The second thing that the, this text is about is about atonement. And the third thing it's about, and this is a corrective for many of you, even for me, uh, people say that there's no retirement in the Bible, and they're wrong. Because there's retirement at the end of this chapter. You'll see. So uh, that would be a good, correct, good corrective uh, for many of us. Now, those three things seem random, but they're not. Uh, they are connected with one another uh, and tied together uh, by the theme of uh, the tender mercy of God. And you'll see that uh, as we walk through this, uh, this text today. So uh, even though we're going to divide it up into three sections, I'm going to read to you the whole chapter. It's printed in the bulletin and also up on uh, the screens behind me. Uh, Numbers chapter 8, verses 1 through 26. This is the word of God, and we should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and say to him, When you set up the lamps, the seven lamps shall give light in front of the lampstand. And Aaron did so. He set up its lamps in front of the lampstand as the Lord commanded Moses. And this was the workmanship of the lampstand, hammered work of gold from its base to its flowers, It was hammered work according to the pattern that the Lord had shown Moses, so he made the lampstand. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the Levites from among the people of Israel and cleanse them. Thus you shall do to them to cleanse them. Sprinkle the water of purification upon them and let them go with a razor over all their body and wash their clothes and cleanse themselves. Then let them take a bull from the herd and its grain offering of fine flour mixed with oil. And you shall take another bull from the herd for a sin offering. And you shall bring the Levites before the tent of meeting and assemble the whole congregation of the people of Israel. When you bring the Levites before the Lord, the people of Israel shall lay their hands on the Levites. And Aaron shall offer the Levites before the Lord as a wave offering from the people of Israel, that they may do the service of the Lord. Then the Levites shall lay their hands on the heads of the bulls, and you shall offer the one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering, to the Lord to make atonement for the Levites. And you shall set the Levites before Aaron and his sons and shall offer them as a wave offering to the Lord. Thus you shall separate the Levites from among the people of Israel and the Levites shall be mine. And after that, the Levites shall go in to serve at the tent of meeting when you have cleansed them and offered them as a wave offering. For they are wholly given to me from among the people of Israel instead of all who open the womb The firstborn of all the people of Israel, I have taken them for myself. For all the firstborn among the people of Israel are mine, both of man and of beast. On the day that I struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, I consecrated them for myself, and I have taken the Levites instead of all the firstborn among the people of Israel. And I have given the Levites as a gift to Aaron and his sons from among the people of Israel to do the service for the people of Israel at the tent of meeting and to make atonement for the people of Israel, that there may be no plague among the people of Israel when the people of Israel come near the sanctuary. 
Thus did Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the people of Israel uh, to the Levites, according to all that the Lord commanded Moses concerning the Levites, the people of Israel did to them. And the Levites purified themselves from sin and washed their clothes. And Aaron offered them as a wave offering before the Lord. And Aaron made atonement for them to cleanse them. And after that, the Levites went in to do their service in the tent of meeting before Aaron and his sons, as the Lord had commanded Moses concerning the Levites. So they did to them. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, This applies to the Levites. From 25 years old and upward, they shall come to do duty in the service of the tent of meeting. And from the age of 50 years, they shall withdraw from the duty of the service and serve no more. They minister to their, bro- they, they minister to their brothers in the tent of meeting by keeping guard, but they shall do no service. They sh- thus shall you do to the Levites in assigning their duties. So, like I said, uh, today's passage is divided into three sections. First, verses 1 through 4, the lampstand. Verses 5 uh, through 22, uh, about atonement. And verses 23 through 26, retirement for really old, really, really old Levites, right? Because we all know 50 is ancient, right? So, um, uh, and, and what uh, they were supposed to, to, to do with that. So one of the things that you have to see about this is that this... That, that God is, these people are preparing to go into uh, uh, the promised land. They, uh, he is demonstrating to them, showing them who he is over and over and over again. Remember, it's only been a little more than a year since he delivered them from Egypt. Uh, they don't know a lot about him. They don't know a lot about what it is that he requires. They don't know a lot about where to go and what to do. And so, in all of these things, he is giving them instruction and caring for them and providing for them so that they know uh, what it is uh, that they're about, where they're going, what they're going to do. So uh, the first thing that you have to see about this is the lampstand, right? Um, so the lampstand is made out of gold, right? Uh, unlike many of the other things that are in the uh, uh, the tabernacle that are made out of wood and then have gold inlay on them, the, the lampstand is made uh, completely of gold. It looks much like what we think of as a menorah. Uh, seven lights in it, and the, the things that hold the lights are uh, of flowers, right? Uh, they're they're uh, uh, made into the, the shape of flowers. And But the thing that this text is about, it's not just a, a random description about the lampstand, but it wants us to see that the lampstand is made a certain way, but even more importantly, it's pointed in a certain direction. Uh, they go very, he goes very carefully here to say that the seven lamps shall give lamp light in front of the lampstand. Now, this is an important thing for us because the way we tend to think about light, uh, and the way it is, is kind of corrected a little bit by this text, right? So in worship, there in the tabernacle, the light is directed not on the worshiper, uh, but on the things of God, because the, th- the things that are in front here of this menorah, of this lampstand, are uh, primarily the, the Ark of the Covenant and most imp- uh, uh, directly uh, the table that had the 12 loaves of bread on it. Now, think about this for a second. These people are getting ready to uh, go into the promised land. They're going somewhere they've never been before. They don't have any idea about what this land is going to be like, except what God has said to them. 
And yet here they are, they're getting ready to go. And, and God says, now, out of all the things that are important in the tabernacle, I want to specifically say to you to put the lampstand here and make sure that the light of the lampstand is shining on the table, particularly the table with the 12 loaves of bread. Now, here's the thing. The way we tend to think about it, when we ask God to shine light, what do we do it? We're asking him for guidance, right? Shine the light. Help me to see where to go. And that would seem like whatever light God would be giving to people. Now, we know that he puts the cloud of, of fire and the, and, the, and the cloud in front of the people day and night to, to, to guide them. But for most of us, what we think of light is, show me what to do. Uh, help me know whether I should take this job or not, or, or uh, that sort of thing. And certainly these people, whatever happened there in worship, they would want to know that their God was going to guide them that he was going to show them the way to go. And so that there in the tabernacle, the, the lampstand would be demonstrating that to them because they have no clue where they're going. The fact is, uh, this, uh, the, it, or at the very least, for many of us, we'd like the light to shine on us. You know, right? But the light's shining on the table. Why is that? The light's shining on the table with the 12 loaves of bread on it. How boring. That bread's on that table all the time. I know that. We tend to think of light as showing us the way. And I I spend an awful lot of my day dealing with people who are trying to figure out whether they should take this job or marry this person or or move to this place or to do this or to do that. And and we are so desperate for guidance that we we use horoscope like things to get it. Like I turned the radio on and there was a song on the radio about Georgia. That means I need to move to Georgia. God said it. He speaks through my FM dial all the time, right? But what's happening here in this text is something even more profound. Yesterday morning, I got up early and I was going to a place uh, out in the woods and I needed to get there before the sun came up. And um, I had never been there in the dark before. Uh, and from the place I was going to park until where I was, uh, the place I was going was a little over a mile. And I had been there on Tuesday and had kind of marked the trail. Well, there was no trail, but I had marked spots with uh, orange tape along the way to get me to where I was going. So I got there. It's pitch black. Uh, my hands are full. And I don't have one of those cool headlamps. Or there's, a, there's even a cool uh, hat now that you can get and you pinch the bill and a light shines out of it. I don't have that. I think it's a little cheesy, but... Uh, it would have been handy yesterday because my hands are full. So I had to put the flashlight in my mouth to find my way to where I was going. And so I'm wandering around trying to get to where I'm going. And I'm thinking, you know, I am a religious person. Perhaps I should pray that God would help me find where I'm going because I'm lost. So I shine, I keep shining the light. And sure enough, I see a little orange in the ground ahead of me and I get to it and I look ahead and there's another one and another one. And obviously I've found my way in and found my way out. I'm here today. So uh, that's the way we tend to think about light, right? Light shows us the way, not in this case. You don't need to know the way, not nearly as much as you need to know the God who provides. That's the most important thing.
You need to have that light shining on that table as a reminder to you of who this God is and how he provides. So as you go through life and as you do these things, you know, we think what we need is for God to tell us what to do. And certainly plenty, there's plenty of, of times and places where he does that. But God thinks in worship, in that place, what is most important is that the light be shined on things that reveal to us that he loves us. That he is for us. That he cares for us. That he is our provider. And as a result of that, that he is trustworthy. The light doesn't need to shine on me. The light really doesn't even need to shine on where I need to go. Because this God loves me. Take a step. You can take a step. You can move. Because we have the underlying assurance, and that's why he shines this light here, so that we will see and know and be reminded. See that bread? He provides. See that ark? He provides uh, for my sin. I can trust him because he is for me. And so he gives them this perpetual reminder there of this, these lights shining, but the light is shining on things that reveal to us what his character is, who he is. And that is so much more valuable to us every single moment of every single day than to knowing what's next. It's hard for us, isn't it? It's challenging. So they don't light the way, but they illuminate the one who's taking us where we need to go. Nothing could be more important. Nothing could be more valuable. Secondly, the thing that we see in this text is this long and dramatic and um, uh, kind of drawn out uh, ritual of atonement. And what we see here is, is that God tells uh, Moses and Aaron to, to gather together the Levites, all of the Levites. The Levites are the ones who, who the priests come from and who their job is to guide and direct uh, the worship of the tabernacle, to set it up and to take it down to carry it and to make sure that the, the ministry there uh, is what it's supposed to be. They're the super religious people. Well, one of the things that you have to see about this is and what's going on in this is, is that when God delivered his people, when he brought them out of Egypt, uh, he his last plague was that w- those homes that did not have blood over the doorposts, uh, the firstborn in those homes were killed. And so... As a, as a perpetual reminder of that, what God says to his people is, from here on out, the firstborn of all of your families belong to me. They are dedicated to me. So rather than go to every single family that has a firstborn and take them, what God did is he designated this whole tribe of the Levites to stand in the place of everybody else. So the Levites become the firstborn. And they are the ones who are dedicated now not to be killed, but that their lives are given over completely to the service of the worship of God. Remember a couple of weeks ago, we saw where the, 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 uh, the, the people are bringing together all these offerings and bringing wagons and all this stuff to, to assist them and to make sure that, uh, that the temple or the, the, the tabernacle functions the way it's supposed to. Well, here what we see is, uh, before the actual worship in the temple in the tabernacle begins, sin has to be addressed. 
And so what they do is they come and they designate these two bulls and this grain offering and all of the the representatives from all the tribes come and lay their hands on the Levites. And then the Levites, the sacrifice is offered and they are purified uh, of their sin and they go about their uh, ministry in this. Now, now we read this and we think, you know, this is an interesting thing and, you know, poor bulls and and all of that kind of stuff. And, uh, uh, but the, the thing that you have to see about this is, is that there is nothing any more important for any of us ever. Let me say that again. There is nothing any more important for you today than this issue. I would submit to you, and you think, wait a minute, atonement? I got things that are much more pressing than that. Now, some of you, very few of you, uh, there's a there's a subset of us who uh, carries around in, in us a perpetual sense of unworthiness and guilt. But those people are few and far between. Because guilt, I don't ever want, guilt, that's the unpardonable sin. I am not guilty. I am not, you know, the, the things that I do, uh, I only do them uh, because of the way I was raised or because of uh, the way people treat me or uh, <clears throat> any of those things. And so there's a sense in which what we, we there, there are very few of us who have any sense of guilt at all. But you know what? You know you're lying to yourself. You know how I know that? Because you all, all of us are so gifted and and hand and handle criticism so well. <laughs> when someone comes up to you and says, "Hey, you didn't do a very good job with this," or "Hey, you should have done this. That would have been better," or "Hey, I didn't like your tone. What you said was true, but I didn't like your tone." For my first 25 years of marriage, I'm like, what is tone? <laughs> I, I don't know what that is. Can I get credit for being right? The one time I'm right. Come on, right? So, so the fact of the matter is, I, I, and you know what? Now, the second 25 years of my marriage, I, I'm going to write a book on tone. I know all about tone. Tone, schmone, that doesn't matter. What matters is, you know, when somebody puts their finger on something in your life and you react in a particular way, even though you may say, yeah, you know, you're right. And then internally you're thinking you're a jerk. Right. What does that say? The person for whom sin has been forgiven, the person for whom full atonement has been made. Yeah, praise God, Jesus died for that. Right? I would submit to you today that your uh, bitterness, your anger, your anxiety, uh, your uh, all of those things are driven to a great de- by a great deal from the sense that we think somehow or other that we can manage, pay off, work off, hide. Some some way or another, our sin, 
And so the way that we deal with it is we'll just take care of it, right? When in fact, uh, what we see here in this text is that even the religious professionals, even the most religious people, even the best people, the people that God has set aside from within the people that he's already set aside must have atonement made for them. Now, this is, this is a, this is a pretty important thing for us to, to lay hold of. I remember a, a number of years ago watching the, it was several days long, watching the funeral of Pope John Paul II. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. They were moving his body from one place to another, and at every step as they were moving his body, they sang a song and they sang the same words over and over again. They were singing and asking for all the saints by name to pray for him, to get him to heaven. Now, if the Pope needs that, y'all are in trouble. <laughs> right? You, you are in some deep weeds here. Because I, I thought John Paul II, I thought, there, there, I really had great admiration for him. He was a, he was a profound guy. You know, God, and I believe God used him in some, in some pretty profound ways in the world. And here he is, he's dead. And you can't even be sure. You got to call on Saint so and so and Saint so and so and Saint so and so to keep kind of building it up and praying for it. And this is not a criticism. This is sad. When the best of us or the worst of us who belong to Jesus die. we can rest in the full assurance of full atonement. We read this description here of the slaughter of these bulls and this wave offering where, where Aaron holds the head of the bull up and it seems so macabre to us and he waves it around before the Lord and before the people. It's a very profoundly visual thing for us to see and to come to grips with the fact that death is the wages of sin and God in his grace and his mercy provides a a sacrifice for us. And this has to happen at the very outset of their ministry, at the very beginning of their work there in the temple. At the very beginning of Jesus Christ's ministry, he uh, goes down to the Jordan River because his cousin, John the Baptist, wearing weird clothes, eating weird food with a, a, a very intense message about repentance, is baptizing people in the Jordan River. And John sees Jesus. He knows him. They're, they're, they're family. And he sees him and he points at him in the crowd and says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then Jesus presents himself to John, along with all the other sinners, to be baptized. And John says, whoa, 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 what are you doing? I shouldn't baptize you. You you should baptize me. And Jesus says this really odd thing. He's like, no, we need to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Now, and Jesus gets dipped in the water, right? He gets baptized. He gets wet. He doesn't get wet to cleanse his sins. He had no sins. But he gets soaked in your sin 
and my sin. And when he comes up out of that water, he has identified himself fully. Just as those Israelites came and they laid their hands on those Levites and those Levites laid their hands on those bulls and that atonement was made. When Jesus Christ went into that water, he went into that water not to be cleansed, but to get dirty, to get covered, to identify himself with the broken, sinful, insecure, bitter, angry, selfish, lying, cheating, stealing, lustful, self-righteous people that are his. So I don't know any other thing to say about this other than this. You and I are sinners and we are absolutely stuck and in trouble, impossible trouble, We are lost and cannot find our way back. We are unrighteous and cannot make ourselves righteous. We are broken and cannot fix ourselves. And the only place, the only hope we have is that someone takes that on for us, substitutes for us, and makes full atonement. A person for whom full atonement of sin has been made can can go and can walk and live, not in perfection, but in the absolute certainty that my God loves me and he has provided for me and he sees that which is ugliest in me and he makes full atonement. That bull's head is waved. That bloody sacrifice is demonstrated. We eat the bread and we drink the cup to proclaim full atonement for our sins. And then lastly, we read this kind of odd little section about... um, that the uh, requirement for people of uh, the men uh, of the tribe of Levi is that from 25 to 50, they are to do the service there in the tabernacle. But after 50, they have the freedom now to simply do guard duty there uh, uh, at, at the tabernacle. Now, why is this? Well, it's frankly, remember, um, you know, we tend to think of the tabernacle as, and that what happened with the tabernacle is predominantly religious worship. And that's true. But there are posts and there are covers and there are heavy things that have to be loaded and unloaded, picked up and carried and moved. Right? And so God in his mercy recognizes the fact that people grow old and they get weak. And their knees and their ankles and their shoulders and their backs and their hips give out over time. And so rather than place this undue burden on people as they age to say, you know what, you got to do this forever until you drop dead. Or uh, that uh, somehow or other you're then, then you're suddenly, you know, if you can't do this anymore, you've lost your purpose and you're put out to pasture. No, that's not it at all. So he makes provision. When you reach a certain age, you don't have to do this physical, heavy-duty physical labor anymore, but you can serve in a, in a real sense as a security guard for, uh, uh, for, the, um, for the tabernacle. I, when I think of security guards, I tend to think of old people. Now, the, re- the, reason, the reason why I do that is uh, my grandfather, my dad's dad, um, was too old uh, to fight in World War II, uh, which really bummed him out because he had four sons. 
uh, that served in combat in World War II. But he wanted to serve. And so he was a security guard at Oak Ridge, Tennessee, where they made the first bomb. Uh, and I looked it up because I've, I've seen pictures of him in his uniform. He had a gun even, uh, which is pretty funny uh, as I think about that. Um, he used to chase me with his dentures when I was little. <laughs> One of my few memories of my, my granddad, <laughs> he would clack them at me like that. This is pretty scary. He's a scary dude in many ways, but... Um, um, he worked defending at a gate uh, there, uh, uh, there at Oak Ridge. He was too old to go fight, but he could serve. A couple of things that I want to draw your attention to about this that are important for us. They're not, they're not um, well, they're, they're gospel imperatives in a way. They're not nearly as important as understanding that your sin has been atoned for, but they have very practical benefits for us. First of all, our God's not utilitarian in the sense that a person's worth or value is based upon what they can do or what they can't do. Okay, God sees these people. He sets them aside and he looks at them and he makes provision for them uh, even as they age. And there are certain things that they're no longer able to do. Right. And so uh, he makes it so that they can still serve and they have a purpose even though the purpose that they gave themselves to for 25 years is now no longer, uh, they're, they're no longer able to do that. A couple of things should, should draw our attention to that. One is this. Um, if that's the way God is, then I must recognize this about myself, that God is good and merciful to say to me that I am only temporarily able-bodied. Okay? Think about that. You know, we tend to think that the way we are is the way we'll be. But that's not so. And for some of us, that's going to be a gradual thing. For some of us, it will be a sudden thing. And for some of us, we may have to live a long time not being as fully able-bodied as we'd like. We, God takes our bodies and our physical being seriously, and he takes that into account in the way in which he organizes this ministry. But the fact is, you don't lose your purpose if you can't work or you can't do. Uh, one of the things, one of the things that I am uh, stunned at uh, is uh, in the 16 months since my mom died, just how much my father has declined physically. On the day my mom died, he stood on the top rung of an eight-foot step ladder and fixed the garage door opener in his garage and the ceiling. That was 16 months ago, and today he can barely walk. And he wonders, what is, what, what, what am I doing? Why am I here? When we recently went to his last sibling's funeral, 
And it really got to me because they put up all these pictures of him with his siblings as they were growing up. And they were singing in the background when we all get to heaven. And so that's very real to him. That's he lives in an expectation of that in a way that that I, I can't even fully understand. Well, he says to me, like, you know, wow, why, why am I still here? You know, what's my, what's my purpose? Can't garden anymore. You know, can't do a lot of the stuff that he wants to do. And I said, well, Dad, maybe your purpose is for me to love you. Maybe your purpose is for my brother to love you. Maybe your purpose is for your grandkids to love you. Maybe that's why God has you here right now. That's a big purpose. Maybe your purpose is on those Sundays where you're able to go to church and you sit there and worship, you struggle to get in and get out and you have to park shamefully to him in the, in the uh, handicapped spot, which just kills him. To be a witness to 88 years of the faithfulness and the goodness of God. We, one of the things, we don't speak of this very often, but in our culture, we overly value youth. Youth and age are not better one than the other. Old age is not better than youth. Youth is not better than old age. They are all valued. And God takes all of that into account in the way in which he cares for us and provides for his people. One's not better, one's not worse. In every place and at every time, the work of of Jesus Christ for us applies to us. And we can rest assured whether I can do something or I simply have to be that I have the attention of God. Our God takes care of our sin. He atones for it. Our God demonstrates to us His character. So more importantly than anything else about him, he wants us to know that he cares for us. But God doesn't just deal with us spiritually in the sense that he makes a place for us in heaven or he simply does this kind of work inside of us. He understands that we are dust and he loves this dust. And in his daily providence and care for us, he makes provision to care for the dust. And he values that dust and he loves that dust and he sees to it that we are uh, that. And he wants to communicate to us that he sees us, that he knows us and that he cares for us, even as we may feel and we may think suddenly we are not able to perform. Praise God. Take that word out of your vocabulary. Full atonement. Has been made. Hear these words of institution. Let's uh, say these um, 